You're listening to A Prophet, a collaboration between Sakhlain and Al-Hujja Islamic Seminary. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider becoming our patron by donating at sakhlain.org support. Now in Medina, we know there were hypocrites and they were source of constant troubles and headaches for the Prophet. Question, were there hypocrites in Mecca? It's a very important question. Other schools of thought say no, there were no hypocrites in Mecca. Anyone who believed in Mecca, they were good and they genuinely believed in Islam and this is their argument. They're like in Medina, there was an incentive to be a hypocrite. Why? Because now Islam was becoming powerful, the Prophet had um, you know, a, a community, he had an army. It made sense to be a hypocrite. You don't fully believe in the Prophet and Islam, but you want to benefit, right? So you come to Medina, you have a position, Islam is expanding, it's gaining more and more power, more and more followers. So there is an incentive to come and join even though you really don't believe in the religion of Islam. But in Mecca, Muslims were what? Persecuted. What do you benefit by becoming a Muslim in Mecca? In fact, you would get persecuted. You would get isolated, marginalized. So those people who believed in Mecca were true believers, the best of the believers, because they believed only for the sake of Allah. We cannot conceive and think of any benefit, except that they really believed in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So that's the argument that others make. Now let's look at some evidence over here. Do we have any evidence that Islam in Mecca could have been an incentive for those people? Such that they did not necessarily believe in the Prophet or in the religion of Islam, yet they became Muslim and they went through persecution, but it was worth it. We can cite some historical evidence for that. And that demonstrates that it is very possible and likely that there were hypocrites, some hypocrites in Mecca. See, when you look at Meccan society, the elites were ruling that society. It was a corrupt, unjust society. Suddenly, you have a man with a new mission, a new vision, a global universal mission. That actually gave hopes to the people that this man is onto something. First of all, the Quran he delivers is not something usual. It signifies that it's something very powerful, something that Meccans could not reproduce. And he was onto something. You could tell that whatever this message this man would bring, the chances of it achieving victory were very high. So if you were a person and you were, you know, you had excellent tactics and you would plan and you look at the future, you would know that he would have achieved victory. In fact, the Prophet, he himself, on a number of occasions, he states that the Muslims will be victorious one day. Let me share with you some examples. And many were hearing this. Some of them believed that really, you know, this religion is going to have a status one day. So even if I don't fully believe in this religion, but let me now become close to the Muslims so I get a status in the future. Because in Mecca, I'm not gonna get a status. With Abu Sufyan and Abu Jahad, you think they're gonna give anyone a status? Especially those Muslims who became Muslim in Mecca, were they high-ranking people in society or no? 
Not really. Most of them were marginalized, poor. Even people like Umar and Abu Bakr, they were not people of the elites of Mecca, average, average households. Uthman, he came from the Bani Umayyah, he had a greater status than Umar and Abu Bakr. But they were not the elites of Mecca. The elites were Abu Sufyan, who is from the Bani Umayyah, but you also had Abu Jahl, Al-Walid and these others, these were the elites of Mecca. So many of those people who were interested in Islam in Mecca, you don't find them coming from elite families. So they really had no chance in Mecca. If the status quo would continue, they would not achieve something. But this man is onto something. He's bringing a message and there are indications he will achieve victory. That's an incentive. That's a very important incentive for many of them. They could actually see the future. But I want to share with you some evidence over here. For instance, Tariq At-Tabari, At-Tabari in his book At-Tariq, he mentions a hadith. He says, Afif al-Kindi asks Al-Abbas ibn Abdul Muttalib in Mecca, when only the Prophet was praying in Masjid al-Haram, Imam Ali and Khadija, those first three Muslims, they're praying in Masjid al-Haram, only three. This guy, Afif al-Kindi, he asks the uncle of the Prophet, who at the time was Mushrik, he had not become Muslim, this is in Mecca. He asks him, what is this man up to? He's just got two followers, Ali and Khadija, what's going on over here? This is the response of Al-Abbas, the uncle of the Prophet. Tabari narrates this, look at the response. He told, he tells him, هَذَا Muhammad ibn Abdullah. Ibn Abdul Muttalib, this is Muhammad, the grandson of Abdul Muttalib. He claims that God has sent him. And he's making a very wild claim. What's the claim? That the treasures of Kesra, who's Kesra? The Persian emperor. And Qaisar, who's Qaisar? Caesar, the Roman emperor. He's claiming that one day his followers are going to achieve victory in Persia and in Rome. Eastern Rome, not Rome itself, Eastern Rome. He's claiming that, he's making these <laughs> claims. So he's telling this statement to Afif al-Kindi. And Afif heard this and he was shocked, you know. Imagine the Prophet with two followers, his wife and his cousin in Mecca, and he's claiming one day, even the Persians and the Romans are going to be defeated by, by, by the Muslims. See, the Prophet had made statements like that and those Muslims had heard it and they knew he was truthful because they never saw him lie in his life. Isn't that an incentive? When you hear a man who's truthful and you see him do miracles, even if you don't believe in him and in his message, there is an incentive to take advantage of his message because if you want that future, you have to be close to this man. So this is a possible invent incentive for hypocrisy in Mecca. So we can't say every person who became Muslim in Mecca did so genuinely, no. Some of them may not have been true believers, but they had heard these statements from the Prophet and they had the vision to see the future. They're like, you know what? This guy's onto something, let's join him. And you know what, if he's defeated, like you mentioned, the other incentive, 
we have, we'll tell the Quraysh we were just playing the Muslims. In fact, Allah mentions this. This was one of the tactics of the Munafiqeen. In Surah Al-Baqarah verse 14, One of the characteristics of the hypocrites is that when they would meet the believers, what would they tell them? No, we believe. But once they go to their shaitans, the human shaitans, the other hypocrites, No, 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 we're with you. We're just mocking them. We don't really believe in them. So this could have been in Mecca too. They would tell the Prophet and those Muslims, yeah, yeah, we believe in you. But then when they, we, they would meet the Quraysh, nah, you know, we're with you guys really. We're just playing them. Hit two birds with one stone. If the Prophet succeeds, we're in it. If he doesn't, We've already uh, made the Quraysh understand our motives. Yes. Did this happen after or near the end of the battle of Uhud, where one of the companions of Seen Prophet said, no, no, the Prophet is actually still alive? Yes, I'm not saying this was revealed in Mecca. The point I'm making is that this is the mentality of the hypocrites, that they would tell the Muslims were with you, but then when they would secretly meet, no, we're just making fun of them. So this mentality, you could apply it to Mecca as well. That, that's the point, that, that's why I cited this verse. So this was uh, one example. Another example, At-Tirmidhi mentions this. Ahmad ibn Hanbal in his Musnad also mentions this. He captures a conversation between Abu Talib, the uncle of the Prophet, and the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa When one of the members of Bani Amr ibn Sa'sa'a had come to speak to the Prophet. What did he say? That member of Bani Amr, after meeting the Prophet, and the Prophet asked Bani Amr to join them, right? Now they made a condition that if you want us to join you, then let's be the leaders. The Prophet rejected. He says, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will choose. One of them rebuked his tribe. He told them, why didn't you join him? Why didn't you join him? What does he state? Tirmidhi and Ahmad ibn Ahmad ibn Hanbal mentioned this. He said, Wallahi law anni akhadtu hadha al-fata min Quraysh la'akaltu bihi al-Arab. He says, I swear to God, if I had a young man like him in my tribe, in my tribe, I would have eaten all of the Arabs. This is an Arabic expression, which means I would have gained victory over, over all the Arabs. See, it was a no-brainer. Those Meccans were so stubborn and arrogant, they were blinded to the future of the Prophet. Sometimes you get blinded because of jealousy and arrogance, you don't see the reality. But these other tribes who came, the minute they saw what the Prophet has to offer, like this guy is going to be the king of the Arab one day. So it was pretty clear to many people. And this was all in Mecca. So this is an incentive for hypocrisy too. We could conceive of some of the companions of the Prophet who joined because they saw what the Prophet was onto. And this is some evidence about that. This is one point. The second point, fine. Let's assume that some of those companions in Mecca did not have any incentive to be hypocrites and they really believed. What guarantees their belief till the end? Doesn't the Quran 
actually give us examples of great worshiper, wor worshippers who saw the signs of God and Allah had given them karamat, yet they disbelieved. Like Bal'am ibn Ba'ura, Allah actually has a verse about him. Allah says, I give you the example of the one whom I gave my signs and he even performed miracles. But then I took away those signs because he deviated and disbelieved. It's possible to disbelieve and deviate. In fact, we even have evidence that the companions would doubt sometimes the Prophet would really doubt him. Now the Holy Quran uses very harsh statements. In qalabtum ala aqabikum. The Quran says, you know, if you think that the Prophet, this is at Uhud when they heard that the Prophet had died, there was this rumor that the Prophet was killed. Some of them, you know what they said? They said, let's go back to Quraysh and make peace with them and go back to idolatry. The Quran says, if that happens, you turn back on your heels. So the Quran is speaking to the Sahaba and making it very clear that some of them would turn back. But do we have any evidence that any of the important companions had doubts in the Prophet? Yes. Let me share this with you. This is a hadith that has been mentioned by Ibn Hibban in his Sahih. Tabarani in his Al-Mu'jam Al-Kabir, Al-Bayhaqi and a number of other Sunni sources, they have mentioned this. At Hudaybiyah, the Prophet decided to make a treaty with who? With the pagans. The Muslims had come in their ihram wanting to go to the pilgrimage. The Meccans stopped them, so the Prophet made a treaty with them. When the Prophet made a treaty with them, Umar ibn al-Khattam came forward and he objected to the Prophet. You know what his exact words are? He says, Wallahi ma shakaktu mundu aslamtu illa yawma idhan. He says, never did I have such a serious doubt like that day. I doubted what's going on. Why did he doubt? See, Allah tests the companions sometimes. The Prophet in Medina told his companions, I saw a dream that we shall enter Masjid al-Haram, our heads shaved and we will be victorious. Let's go, let's go and do the pilgrimage. So they went. On their way to Mecca, the Meccans blocked them. No, you have no right to enter Mecca. Unless you guys become pagans, we'll let you in. So the Prophet considered what to do. He's like, okay, let's make a treaty. Let's make a peace treaty. This year we won't go to the Hajj. We'll go back to Medina, then we'll come later. No fighting, let's stop the fighting. Umar ibn al-Khattab came to the Prophet. He told him, what are you doing? You told us we're going to do the Hajj. We're going to enter Masjid al-Haram. What's going on over here? In other words, he was telling the Prophet, I'm not even sure if you're truthful anymore. The Prophet asked him, he told him, when I said we will enter Masjid al-Haram, did I say this year? Did I say this year? He said, no. He's like, okay, we will enter. He goes to Abu Bakr, according to these versions of the hadith, which Sunnis have narrated. He told him, what's, what's this man doing? I'm having serious doubts. Why is he doing this peace treaty? Abu Bakr tries to calm, calm him down. He says, no, you know, he's directed by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and he doesn't disobey the orders of God. He tells him, but didn't he promise us that we're going to enter Masjid al-Haram and we're triumphant and our heads are shaved? He's like, yeah, he did say that, but he didn't say this year. 
he just didn't know what to do. He was very, very aggressive at Hudaybiyah. So here you have a companion who is admitting that I started having doubts. Now let me ask you this question. Omar doesn't say what he had doubts about. But given what happened from this Sunni hadith, and Omar says, never ever did I have such a doubt since I became Muslim. You analyze and you be the judge. What is he doubting? He's doubting the Prophet. What else is he doubting? What else could he doubt? Because I've seen some of their arguments. Well, you can't tell what he's doubting. Okay, what could he possibly be doubting? He's doubting if there are cats and dogs in Mecca. I mean, what is he doubting? When he says this, he's doubting the Prophet. So this is evidence here that maybe in the beginning you believed, fine. But then you started having doubts and then maybe you became a hypocrite. Possibly. Is this something that you, would, you, you have to rule out? No. It's perfectly possible, isn't it? He himself, he's saying that I'm having these serious doubts. And we do have evidence from the Quran and other uh, books that many of them did have doubts later. By the way, there are, there are also some verses like Surah Al-Ankabut verse 10, Surah Al-Muddathir verse 31, which are referring to hypocrisy and these verses and surahs were revealed in Mecca. So the point is, we in the school of Ahlul Bayt believe that it is very possible, in fact we do believe in that, we do have evidence, but even looking at this from a historical perspective, based on Sunni sources, it's very likely that there were hypocrites in Mecca and there were big incentives in Mecca to be a hypocrite. That's not something that we can rule out.